Welcome to another episode of Cosmic Echo, a Taylor podcast. This podcast explores a strange and bizarre phenomenon that happens in our lives when we sleep in an altered states. In this episode, I speak with Rick Strassman, who is the author of DMT, The Spirit Molecule, as well as his newest book, DMT, The Soul of Prophecy. In this interview, we discuss aspects of the DMT experience and how it relates to the uh, experience that is expressed in the text of the Hebrew Bible. If you enjoyed this episode, Cosmic Echo, and would like to learn more about Dr. Strassman's work and his books, you can visit our website at taleleaders.com backslash CE podcast. Additionally, you can support this podcast by clicking on our donation page located at the same website. Well, without further ado, let's get to it. Thank you, Dr. Strassman, for being on the show. And can you just give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself and um, how you got interested in the research that you're involved in and um, writing these amazing books? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, well, you know, so, you know, my name is Rick Strassman, uh, psychiatrist, uh, writer, I guess more than a psychiatrist nowadays, but, uh, I did all the work that I'm writing about as a psychiatrist, you know, doing research. Um, I'm on the clinical faculty at the university of New Mexico school of medicine, um, right now, uh, and uh, I studied, uh, you know, psychedelic, you know, drugs in the early 1990s. Um, and uh, this was the uh, result of a longstanding interest that I had had in the biology of spiritual experience. Um, I thought that, uh, you, know, you know, to the extent that, you know, psychedelics could you know, mimic or you know, replicate certain, you know, features of non-drug religious experience like that brought on through prayer or different types of meditation that there must be some common underlying denominator biologically going on that was uh you know turned on in both uh you know situations so uh yeah i began you know focusing on you know dmt uh the studies began in 1990 and i wrapped them up in 95 uh, you know, the last year of my work, I've, I had um, started some dose finding work with, you know, psilocybin too. Hmm. Uh, so, and I had you know, permission and, you know, drug to start some LSD work, but, uh, you know, it was just, you know, too hard, you know, doing long drug or, you know, long, you know, long acting, you know, drug studies on a research ward. So uh, uh, we never got the LSD work off hmm. the ground. Yeah, I mean, um, I became interested in your work because of um, specifically your your focus on melatonin um, at the beginning. I think um, why why melatonin and um, why was that an interest of yours, and then why did that bring you to um, researching DMT? Well, I was led, you know, to melatonin because of my interest in the pineal gland, uh, and uh, I was led to the pineal gland. Uh, because it seemed like it might be a, um, a part of the brain that might be you know, mediating these uh, spiritual experiences. And to the extent that there was some you know, biological activity in the pineal that might uh, be responsible for mystical or spiritual states, then uh, I started to look into the biology of the pineal gland. Um, you know, I first learned about the pineal <clears throat> from a mentor at Stanford, Jim 
uh, me and Jim Fadiman, um, and this was in 1972. Uh, yeah, and there was not that much known about the pineal, especially in humans at the time. You know, melatonin had been discovered in the 1940s um, as a skin blanching mm. agent in lizards, uh, reptiles, um, amphibians. Um, you know, but there wasn't that much, you know, known um, about its, uh, uh, you know, biology in the mammals. It, you know, seemed to be responsible for, you know, seasonal breeding yeah. in, you know, seasonal breeding animals, you know, like sheep. Excuse me, I must no. set the alarm to be <laughs> no sure issues. I was on this time. Uh, yeah, you know, but, you know, 1972 there, you know, wasn't you know, that much known. Uh, and, uh, but still, you know, the, you know, the pineal gland itself had been, you know, revered as a potentially spiritual organ for, you know, millennia. Um, it's, you know, the only unpaired organ in the middle of the brain. It, uh, has been uh, it, it has been associated with uh, you know the location of the uh, crown chakra, uh, the crown uh, you know sephirah in Jewish you know Kabbalah as well. Um, so it uh, you know seemed to be the anatomical location of deep spiritual experience. Uh, you know, so I started to you know look into the pineal. You know, somewhat in in uh, the 1970s. You know, but I was, you know, starting medical school, and there wasn't much, you know, time you know, to pursue uh, kinds of interests. Uh, you know, but in the meantime, I maintained an interest in the spiritual uh, states, spiritual experience, and was you know looking for, you know, some you know biological counterpart. Um, you know, and it was an interesting, you know, confluence of, uh, of, uh, you know, circumstances. Um, I, you know, went up, you know, to Alaska uh, after I completed my psychiatry, you know, residency. I was the psychiatrist in Fairbanks at the Community Mental Health Clinic up there. And, you know, this was in the early 1980s, which was just around when people were beginning to be interested in winter depression. Mm. Um, and at around that time, uh, there was some work which, you know, finally could uh, establish in a very precise, you know, manner, you know, levels of melatonin in humans. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, people were relating, you know, melatonin problems with winter depression. You know, so it was kind of uh, a you know, very, you know, fortuitous, you know, turn of events because, you know, psychiatry was all of a sudden becoming interested in the pineal gland as well as melatonin. Uh, so things didn't work out that great in Alaska. I didn't like the work, and uh, I returned. Uh, and I returned to academics, <clears throat> um, and uh, you know, trained in uh, you know clinical psychopharmacology research at a you know fellowship in La Jolla. Um, and I learned everything um, I could about, you know, melatonin at the time. I, you know, this was in, you know, 1982, 1983. And there was, you know, and, you know, there was, you know, some indication that large doses of melatonin might be, uh, uh, you know, might be psychedelic. Uh, and 
I thought, well, if, you know, melatonin, you know, were psychedelic, you know, then, you know, that would, uh, you know, tie in a number of, you know, disparate, uh, you know, threads, mm-hmm. which was the spiritual properties of the pineal gland, as well as, uh, you know, the biology of, you know, how that might actually occur. You know, so my first, you know, kind of independent study was of the function of melatonin in humans, but it, you know, turned out to not be especially, you know, psychoactive. It just was, you know, sedating, which is what it, you know, is used for mostly now in, you know, in the clinic or over the counter. But in the meantime, I learned about DMT, which I proposed, you know, could be, you know, made in the pineal gland, but it had been, you know, discovered in human blood, human spinal fluid, and human lung in particular in, you know, the 1960s and the 1970s. Uh, you know, so I, you know, dropped the melatonin work and, uh, you know, began working on all the required, you know, paperwork and uh, the acquiring of, you know, grant support to run the DMT study, which began in 1990. That's amazing, man. Um, that's a crazy turn of events that got you to that point as well. Um it was completely crazy from <laughs> you know from beginning to end it was yeah. crazy uh but uh y- you know you can kind of you know plot it out in a stepwise manner so it you know doesn't look yeah. you know, that crazy when you're in the you know fine detail of it definitely well i mean it sounds like you've always been kind of attracted towards um trying to research these mystical experiences or spiritual experiences um is there anything you know particularly uh, in you that drives you to kind of um, be interested in these uh, experiences and try to research that? Well, um, you know, that's a complicated question. Uh, you know, I was, you know, raised in kind of a crazy, abusive, uh, you know, household. Uh, and uh, at a young age, um, I learned, you know, to dissociate. Uh, you know, I could just, you know, put myself in an altered state just as a means of protecting myself. You know, so I was always interested in weird states of consciousness that didn't involve an immediate, you know, relationship with the outside world. Um, so I, you know, learned to take, you know, some solace and some comfort in inner states. Um, and, you know, then when I, you know, went to college and learned to meditate, it was like you could enter into those states, you know, voluntarily without, you know, you know, resort to, you know, needing, you know, to be traumatized and, right. um, in order to, uh, to step into them or to, you know, or to slip into them. Um, you know, so as a result of, you know, learning to meditate, I, you know, learned about Buddhism and was, uh, you know, really impressed with, their understanding of altered states of consciousness and, you know, deconstructing them and, you know, also utilizing them uh, for inner peace, the greater good, uh, you know, one's, you know, welfare, you know, the welfare of the world. Um, You know, so it was, you know, I think in, you know, Buddhism, I, you know, finally discovered a system of thought which took altered states, you know, seriously. Um, and, um, you know, and, you know, that provided, you know, the beginning of an intellectual scaffolding, which, you know, provided, uh, 
you know, me the support to, uh, you know, look at the, you know, drug state in a you know, systematic and methodical manner as well. That makes sense. Um, so, I mean, you had a, a ten, people tend to, I think, associate psychedelic experience with um, like Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism and Zen Buddhism um, today, you know, like the new age movement is kind of directed in that way. So um, I know, you know, you had, you had patients that had experiences while you were doing these DMT experiences. And um, I want to understand like your perspective of how that relates to um, how these spiritual experiences relate to Buddhism or don't relate to that and how you kind of, um, you started writing your newest book on um, prophetic states um, in, in a different direction. Right. Um, well, that's true. You know, uh, if you go into any head shop, there's, you know, Buddhas and mandalas and tankas and incense and prayer beads and, uh, you know, you know, gongs and dojes and Tibetan you know, mementos and things. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that has a complicated history. Uh, you know, I think, you know, part of it was historical uh, in the 1960s and the early 70s, uh, both, you know, psychedelics and Eastern religion, especially, uh, you know, Buddhism and especially, you know, the charismatic Buddhist, you know, teachers coming in from Tibet and from Japan. Um, you know, came in at, at around the you know same time as you know um, as the entrance of you know psychedelic you know drugs into you know the culture, especially on the West Coast, you know East Coast too, but especially on the West Coast. You know, so they kind of went hand in hand. These you know these uh, you know new technologies which provided you know reliable you know consistent entrance into you know highly altered states. You know, so it's kind of like, well, you meditate, you take psychedelics, you know, they kind of went hand in hand. Um, and it became, you know, reified in a way with, uh, you know, the Harvard group and their uh, interest in, you know, uh, Eastern religion. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, the two main researchers at Harvard or even the three, you know, main ones, you know, Tim Leary, uh, you know, Richard Alpert and Ralph Metzner. You know, Tim was a lapsed, you know, Catholic, you know, uh, and, you know, Albert was a lapsed Jew, and Ralph Messner was a lapsed, you know, Lutheran, uh, you know, so they all went there, you know, you know, they all kind of, you know, went into, uh, you know, the Eastern, you know, religious uh, mode as a, you know, way of, Number one, explaining what the altered states uh, were, or you know how to understand them, but also I think you know neurotically it was an escape from their past. They kind of spurned their upbringing and uh, you know wanted to rebel against uh, you know who they were as you know younger adults, um, you know. But at the same time, you know there is a lot of you know there's a lot of overlap. Uh, between the experiences that one has on psychedelics and the reports of the phenomenology when you meditate and also, you know, some of the insights that you might attain when you're on psychedelics comport with those that uh, uh, are reported or, you know, you know form the, uh, 
intellectual underpinnings of the Eastern religions. Um, I think especially, you know, the constructed, you know, sense or the constructed nature of reality and its ability to be deconstructed uh, are emphasized both in the you know, psychedelic state and also the meditative, you know, traditions. Um, and, you know, lots of people became interested in Eastern religions as a result of their drug experiences. Uh, when I was at the Zen monastery that I uh, trained at and studied under, uh, I would say, you know, 90%, maybe even more of the young monks, you know, had their first, you know, glimpse mm. of the potential for an enlightened state under the influence of LSD. Mm. Uh, and, you know, some describe that glimpse, which is called, you know, bodhicitta, uh, you know, the glimpse of enlightenment or the, you know, thought of enlightenment or the, you know, seed of enlightenment um, as the most important stage in one's Buddhist, you know, training, uh, you know, because it is a flash of lightning, as it were, that, you know, that illuminates things in a way that hadn't been illuminated before. And, you know, then it's up to you, you know, to pursue it, uh, you know, you know, to the extent that you're interested or uh, opportunities are, uh, you know, possible, you know, to, you know, dig into it deeper. Um, you know, but just as importantly, uh, which isn't really discussed, you know, anywhere, you know, near as much as this you know, psychedelic and you know, Buddhist connection, are all of the people who became, you know, Jesus freaks after they you know, took acid uh, in the, you know, 60s, I'm in the 70s. Um, and, you know, the, uh, you know, Jewish, you know, folks who began studying Kabbalah or became, you know, rabbis or started, you know, to hang out in the more ecstatic, you know, Jewish streams, which, you know, developed alongside uh, the, you know, psychedelic and Buddhist ones. You know, so there was, uh, I think, um, as much a, you know, turning to Christianity and, you know, um, and, you know, to Judaism, but it just didn't, uh, you know, attract the same kind of interest as, you know, the Buddhist, you know, uh, um, you know connection did. You know, Buddhism is exotic um, and uh, everything um, exotic still, you know, has a lot, you know, more of an appeal than, you know, the tried and true, which, um, or, you know, what you come from anyway. Right. That makes sense. Uh, you know, your own background. Yeah. Um, the, um, the, the, the idea of a rebellious or, um, like that resonates with me as well. Cause I came from a Christian background. So, um, when I started to explore these altered states, I definitely attracted, um, towards the Eastern philosophies versus like the Western views or something like that. Um, that would be probably more culturally acceptable and probably an act of rebellion in that sense as well. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's you know, kind of interesting with my returning to my Jewish roots and being interested in the Jewish, well, it isn't a mystical experience, but, uh, you know, fundamental, you know, Jewish religious experience, you know, which is prophecy. Uh, you know, I'm kind of, being put into that category as you know rebellious and uh like a rabble rouser you know because i don't uh, subscribe to the non-dual state as the ultimate uh 
uh, experience that one, you know, you know, can attain uh, either through, you know, drugs or, you know, through spiritual, you know, practices. Um, and, you know, I was, you know, led to the Jewish stream or, you know, you know led, you know, back to it um, as a result of the, you know, DMT study. Um, because I had been studying, you know, uh, you know, Zen Buddhism, you know, practicing it for a long time, about, you know, 20 years or so. And, you know, that was the model that I brought to bear spiritually on the, you know, DMT research. I was expecting people to have um, a white light mystical unitive experience where there's, you know, where there wasn't any ego, no sense of self. Um, one, you know, was kind of absorbed uh, or um, unified with the ground of being. Uh, there were no, you know, thoughts, no images, no consciousness, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, the uh, scripture of great, you know, wisdom kind of, you know, list of, you know, non, 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 and non. So, well, that's a good one, you know, non, non, you know, non and on. Uh, you know, that could be a new twelve-step, uh, you know, group for those who are stuck in non-duality. Um, you know, but in any event, uh, the, the kinds of experiences that my volunteers, you know, had were not anything like that. Uh, you know, which was, you know, kind of ironic. Um, you know, before I began the study, I interviewed as many people as I could about their experiences on DMT so I would you know be ready for what I was going to hear and also to you know develop uh, a preliminary you know rating scale that you know people could you know fill out afterwards so I could quantify uh, the state uh, as best as possible and everybody described uh, interactive you know dual experience uh, that you know they're were, you know, things in the DMT state that one related to, and that it was, you know, very rare, um, if ever, to, you know, uh, you know, merge with, you know, the one. Um, and, you know, my volunteers were expecting merging with the one because most of them were meditating or had some kind of, you know, practice that emphasized those kinds of states as, you know, the ultimate. You know, so I was too. I was expecting it as well. You know, so everybody was, you know, surprised. I mean, I, you know, shouldn't have been surprised, you know, but I was uh, just because I was so, you know, fixated on the, you know, Zen Kensho model. Um, and, you know, and most of the volunteers were too, but the experiences were much more interactive and, um, and you know, relational uh, as opposed to, you know, mystical and uh, unitive. Um you know, so that, you know, kind of speaks to an issue that I haven't talked about all that much, you know, previously. Um, you know, I'm, you know, kind of on a rampage against the mystical unitive model uh, as kind of you know, this soul, you know, model. Right. You know, that that is, you know, uh, an intrinsic part of the psychedelic experience. You give, you know, psilocybin, for example, or you give LSD, you give, you know, 5-methoxy-DMT. And uh, the intrinsic character of the drug is is entheogenic. Um, it uh, isn't you know psychedelic anymore. It's it uh, you know it's 
you know, divine, it's, you know, godly, it's, you know, spiritual, you know, so I was, you know, very keen on that question. I mean, you know, that was the main impetus for my research in the first place was, are these drugs, are, are these, you know, drugs intrinsically, you know, pharmacologically spiritual? Like mm -hmm. if you, you know, give the drug, you know, hands off, you know, bare bones, you know, here's the drug, you know, tell me, you know, what happened. Um, you know, will you, you know, have a mystical experience? Will you have a Kensho, a, you know, Buddhist enlightenment effect? Um, and, you know, the answer was, you know, no, which I've, you know, touted repeatedly, you know, but as I've gone, you know, back and you know, thought about the experiences that the, you know, volunteers, you know, had in the, you know, setting of no preparation at all, they were not prepared other than it was fast, it was short, and you might think you've died, but you know, don't worry because first of all, you know, you know, nobody's ever died on DMT. And if you get into any you know, physical you know, problems, you know, you're in a hospital, there's a crash cart outside, we can call the code team and you'll be in good hands. Um, you know, you know, but that was, you know, the only preparation, you know, that we gave people, you know, we didn't spend hours and hours educating them right. about the nature of the mystical experience, you know, how to attain it when you're in that altered state, uh, you know, how to interpret it in that way as a mystical unitive experience. There was just no coaching, you know, so without any coaching, without any indoctrination, without any expectation being built up that, you know, this is the kind of experience that you need to have, that you will have, and everything is geared towards having that experience. Instead, people had the experience that was most um, appropriate for who they were. Like, you know, for example, in the, you know, nearly you know, five dozen volunteers in our study, only, only one had what might be called a classical religious or spiritual mystical experience and you know he was somebody who was a religious studies major in college and had been you know seeking that kind of state his whole life and he had it hmm. you know somebody else you know, was a nurse that was very keen on the near-death state you know she read book after book after book this was very interested in a near-death state and she had a near-death experience, you know, the only classical one in our study. Wow. Um, you know, somebody else was an urban shaman, and he always wanted to have a shamanic, you know, death-rebirth experience of being, you know, dismembered, going to the underworld, being reconstituted, you know, creating the universe in his, uh, in, in, his, uh, in his mind once more. And lo and behold, this guy, you know, had that kind of an experience. You know, somebody else was, you know, kind of, you know, Eastern European, uh, you know, background, you know, kind of nihilistic, you know, Kafka kind of, what's the point? And uh, he just had those kinds of experiences on DMT and, um, you know, psilocybin as well. You know, so uh, I think, those cases prove the you know, value of the term, you know, psychedelic, uh, that their mind disclosing, their mind, uh, you know, manifesting. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of the, you know, ways in which you could contemporize, 
that expression is uh, using the notion of placebo, or even thinking of you know psychedelics as you know super placebos. Um, that uh, your your beliefs become experiences. Your your um, your you know wishes and your thoughts you know become experiences. So instead of only you know wishing for a near death state and thinking about near death states and you know valuing them and wanting to have one with a strong you know psychedelic experience, you have that experience. Uh, you enter into the near-death state. Uh, if you're a you know shaman and you want that kind of a you know shamanic you know death-rebirth uh, you know scenario, then you have that experience. And you know by using the term placebo, it isn't make believe. Uh, it isn't imaginary, but uh, it's the uh, making real and certain and objective in a way because it's an objective experience uh you uh you know those things which are you know more or less you know conscious you know that are your goals and your aspirations become real they become true and real and as certain as anything has ever been in your life um you know so it uh, it's an interest, it, it's an interesting way of you know looking at you know the drug effect uh, as opposed to well like you know for example too uh, you know one one case I like to you know bring up often is you know that of you know of you know of uh, you know Charles Manson and you know his followers uh, you, you know they were you know disaffected you know violent you know sociopaths. Um, but you know, also you know, they were kind of lost, and they found in you know Charles Manson a you know very charismatic guy, um, and you know they took LSD together, and you know Manson would you know give them this rap about helter skelter, that you know if if they killed enough people, and blamed the blacks, then there'd be a race war, the blacks would win, and then and then you know Manson and his you know followers would then become the rulers of the black, you know, victors of the Helter Skelter War. Hmm. And, you know, he gave these people LSD, went on and on about Helter Skelter, and he turned these people into, you know, serial killers, um, you know, because, you know, they were convinced that, okay, Helter Skelter is coming about, and they're the chosen ones who are going to implement it, you know, you know to catalyze it. You, you, you know, so it, you know, depends on, you know, where you're coming from and what you want to be ultimately uh, as, as a human being, as a person, you know, so nobody in, you know, Manson's group became a monk and, right. you know, nobody in these mystical experience studies becomes a, you know, serial killer. It's, you know, who you are and who you want to be and what you want to get out of the you know, drug experience, you know, so, you know, uh, you know, Manson's, you know, followers, you know, had these inchoate ideas about, uh, you know, uh, you know, they were being, you know, wronged. They never got the credit or the power or the money or the fame that they wanted to. Um, so, you, you know, Manson, you know, created a crucible where those 
characteristics and the people and the hopes and aspirations which which you know they had became real certain and true uh and then they went about you know doing it in the same vein if you want a mystical experience if you're depressed um if you want to improve your uh experience of non-duality then you know take a drug in that you know kind of a setting with that with that you know kind of um you know, context, that kind of, you know, crucible, and you'll emerge more likely than not in uh, that state. You'll be convinced of its truth. You will have experienced it yourself personally, and you'll be a changed, you know, person. You know, so, you, know, so, you know, so there is no question that, you know, people end up being changed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's just, uh, is it a result of the drug or the experience? And if it's a result of the experience, then you know what are the components of that experience? Um, so that's kind that makes of where I've been you know, going. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so Good. with your your <laughs> it totally made sense. Um, with your newest book though, um, you kind of relate the experience to the the Hebrew tradition as well as like the the lessons in the um, Hebrew Bible, and it's it's educational in the sense that you talk a lot about. Um, why these words and concepts were created and then you go through um, similarities of the experience and then um, dissimilarities so i'm wondering um, what you know if these you've described to me these experiences being pretty much um, determinal based on the intention that the person has or maybe some of their background or what what they're trying to achieve so like um, setting i guess or set um, and so why why the hebrew um, Bible, why uh, prophecy? Yeah, okay. Um, well, yeah, so why did I move into the Hebrew Bible? Uh, uh, well, there are a number of reasons. You know, one is, you know, that the DMT state just wasn't consistent with what I was expecting, uh, you know, using the Buddhist model. Um, you know, it, it was interactive and relational. It wasn't unitive and you know, mystical. There wasn't a white light. There were, you know, these beings uh, in the DMT world that, you know, people, uh, you know, related to. They interacted with them. They asked questions. Uh, things were, you know, done to the volunteers by the beings. They were told things by the beings. Um, you know, so that, you know, wasn't, you know, what I expected. Uh, so I had to kind of go back, you know, to the drawing board uh, with respect, you know, you know, to the phenomenology. Um, and also, you know, the reality, you know, basis or, you know, the, the you know, feeling of reality uh, that people experienced under DMT. Uh, was a little unexpected as well. I I was thinking it would, uh, you know, be more you know similar to other psychedelics. You know, where you know you're on a drug. Hmm. Um, you know, you're completely out there, but you know you're on a drug. Uh, you know the, you know, but what occurs, you know, with DMT is, you may know you're on a drug, but you also you know have the strong you know feeling that. The experience that you're having isn't really a, a you know drugged experience. It's uh, 
you know, more of an entry into another objective level of reality, which feels as real or even, you know, more real than everyday reality. Mm. You know, so that's one of the striking elements of, you know, DMT compared, you know, to the other psychedelics like LSD or psilocybin. Um, <clears throat> you know, so, you know, that wasn't consistent with my Zen uh, you know, background either, which treats the states on drugs or even on, you know, meditation, which aren't the, you know, formless states as just, you know, detritus, just, uh, you know, kind of, you know, the way station, uh, an illusory, you know, set of way stations on the way, you know, to the real thing, which is, you know, the white light, non-dual state. Uh, and, you know, everything else is, you know, considered unreal, you know, but, you know, for, you know, my volunteers, those things were felt to be, you know, real, you know, realer than anything. Um, so, you know, that, you know, those were the two properties of the DMT experience, which weren't adequately addressed, you know, by, you know, the Zen model. <clears throat> Uh, so I also, you know, wasn't completely convinced of, you know, the utility of the more biological or, you know, physical models as well. You know, the, you know, psychoanalytic model also, you know, treated the experiences as if they were something else, uh, you know, symbolic of conflict, let's say, or repressed impulses. You know, the, you know, psychopharmacology, you know, model, you know, clearly, uh, you know, posits that these experiences are just, you know, hallucinations, just activation of, you know, certain you know, receptors in the brain, uh, which, you know, cause, you know, these experiences, uh, <clears throat> as opposed to, let's say, you know, you know, making them, you know, possible, which was, you know, more of the conclusion I came to at, you know, the end of my, you know, DMT book, the spirit, you know, molecule, which, you know, suggested, you know, the, um, you know, that the drugs um, allowed for the brain to receive information that resided in other levels of objective reality, you know, but even so, once I stopped the research and started, you know, looking into, you know, some of the newer models of the universe as proposed by, you know, physics, even though, dark matter, parallel universes, those, you know, kinds of notions uh, could provide some, you know, mechanistic, uh, you know, power. They didn't really, you know, provide, you know, the meaning, you know, power that I was looking for. Hmm. Like, you know, what's the point? You know, you know, why is the brain so configured even if, you know, you know even if, you know, you know um, even if, you know, this is how it works, you know, why is the brain, you know, so configured? You know, so I was still, you know, keen on, you know, looking in, you know, to the more, you know, religious import, you know, properties of the state, you know, what's the state good for? Are we going to be any wiser? What can we learn from, you know, from these experiences? You know, so I then began to, you know, default, you know, more to the religious, you know, traditions, which are obviously interested in altered states, you know, but they're interested in altered states because of what they can provide right. uh, individuals and a larger, you know, you know, culture. You know, shamanism was 
good in a way because it did propose you know the reality nature uh or you know the reality of these altered states and their inhabitants you know their contents but you know shamanism is you know, pretty dark uh you know stephen byer wrote a book called singing to the plants yeah and he has a great you know line in there about you know shamanism you know, there's good shamans and there's bad shamans, but they're all bad shamans, <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, if if you're going to work in the shamanic world, especially, you know, for healing, it's all about, you know, warfare and cursing and anti-cursing and anti-anti-cursing, you know, so if you become ill uh, in that, you know, model, it's because you've been cursed, you know, by a bad shaman, you know, so if you're a good, you know, shaman, you remove the curse, but it's, you know, it's, 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 you know, such a, you know, macho culture. If the curse has you know, been removed, that, you know, pisses off the original cursing shaman who, you know, then attacks you and you have to, uh, you know, and, you know, then you have to attack them back and it just gets to be this huge mess. Um, you know, so even though, uh, you know, they do, you know, propose, you know, the reality of the spirits that they invoke for, you know, healing and for cursing is still, you know, pretty murky. Um, and I would hope that any religious model, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the Western, you know, religions have, you know, got their fair you know, share of abuse and, uh, you know, horrible, um, you know, goings on you would at least, you know, want, you know, to be able to, you know, find within the tradition some glimmer of, you know, goodness. And at, you know, at least for me, with my, you know, primitive understanding of, you know, shamanism, you know, that, you know, really wasn't in evidence. You know, also, you know, being, you know, Jewish, uh, one of the things that I found, you know, difficult, uh, you know, just, you know, genetically almost uh, with both, you know, you know, Buddhism and, you know, shamanism, you know, was the absence of God. Hmm. You know, there's all this, you know, bowing at the monastery. You, um, you bow to each other. You, you bow to statues. Um, you, uh, you, you bow to the teacher you know, photographs of, you know, dead teachers, images of, you know, bodhisattvas and, you know, former teachers. But, you know, and it, you know, seemed a you know bit like idol worship. Like if you're going to bow, I, you know, like I hadn't really, you know, formulated this in my mind in my 20s and 30s and 40s, you know, while I was studying Zen, but it still was, you know, kind of, in, it was still kind of, you know, niggling at me, like, well, if I'm going to bow, I should be bowing to the most high, yeah. you know, the, you know, the highest possible thing to bow to, you know, rather than these, you know, lower level manifestations. Um, and in, you know, shamanism, you invoke spirits, you don't necessarily invoke, you know, God. And if you speak to, you know, shamans, they'll kind of, you know, you know, poo-poo as a rule, the, uh, you know, notion of a God, but strictly speaking, you know, who created these spirits, who uh, bestowed upon them, you know, the power to heal and to curse, um, you know, so that's where I think the, you know, notion of a most high God really comes in handy. Um, 
you know, so at the same time that I was starting to, you know, root around uh, for spiritual, you know, models for the DMT state, I was, you know, writing about the relationship between Buddhism and, you know, psychedelics. Uh, and I was adducing that, you know, there were, you know, similarities between, um, you know, the drug state and the enlightened state, or at least the state of bodhicitta, where you flash on the possibility of a different way of, you know, living your life. Um, and, you know, the monastery got pretty unhappy about that because in you know, their mind, it was, you know, publicly equating, you know, uh, you know, drugs and Buddhism. Uh, in our, you know, private, you know, conversations, the monks and I were all, or, you know, the monks were all, you know, gung-ho, like, mm -hmm. this is great. I took LSD when I was younger. That's why I'm a monk now, you know, you know, but when, you know, the discourse, you know, hit, you know, the public airwaves, mm -hmm. um, it was much more problematic, you know, so, you know, push came to shove and, you know, finally it was like, well, you know, if we can't, you know, talk about these things, you know, publicly, uh, then there's really, you know, no point. It's, you know, hypocritical. Um, you know, so we parted ways and uh, I was kind of, you know, bereft of a spiritual community and a spiritual orientation and uh, stumbled on a, you know, book about, you know, Judaism. Mm. Uh, and uh, it kind of made me think, well, I am Jewish and uh, I used to know Hebrew. And, you know, maybe there's, you know, you know something here, um, you know, so I, you know, began, you know, reading the Hebrew Bible, you know, the so-called Old Testament, uh, retaught myself, you know, biblical Hebrew, and then just, you know, dug into it started with, you know, Genesis. And, um, you know, as, you know, time went on, I began to, you know, notice this thing called, you know, prophecy, uh, which is the way in which one you know receives the information which is you know laid out in the hebrew bible you know the hebrew bible is a you know, prophetic book it's a you know record of you know prophetic experience and once i um enlarged the notion of the prophetic state to encompass anything spiritual uh any spiritual experiences as uh as undergone, you know, by any figure in the text, it isn't, you know, necessarily only the, you know, predictions or the, you know, foretellings of the canonical prophets, like Isaiah and, and Ezekiel and, you know, Jeremiah, you know, but it's any spiritual experience that is um, under, undergone, you know, by anybody in the text, it could be like a handmaiden, it could be a soldier, it could be, uh, it, 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 it could be in inspiration it could be an angelic encounter um it can be an out-of-body experience you know so when you expand you know the definition of you know prophecy beyond just foretelling or you know predicting you know then you know the hebrew bible is you know full of prophetic experience um and once i expanded you know the definition to encompass a lot broader range of you know phenomena then I thought, well, you know, I wonder how, you know, similar the prophetic state is, you know, the DMT state, because, you know, just intuitively or in a gestalt kind of manner, it, you know, seemed as if, you know, there was a lot of overlap. You know, so I started comparing the two states, you know, phenomenologically, like, are the visions, you know, similar? 
are you know the auditory effects you know similar are the emotional responses you know similar you know what about you know the somatic effects you know uh you know palpitations or nausea or stomach churning or weakness or falling down or you know shaking those kinds of things uh you know so i you know bend all of the prophetic experiences into the bins that I had originally used in characterizing, you know, the DMT effect. And, you know, there is a huge overlap, like a huge phenomenological overlap. Uh, like if you look at chapter one of Ezekiel, it's completely DMT-like. There's spinning wheels, there's lightning, there's blue, there's flying through space, there's weakness, there's fear, there's falling down, there's a voice, there's, you know, rushing waters, um, which, you know, which, you know, fill Ezekiel's auditory uh, world, you know, but at the same time, there's, you know, something missing, because obviously, the records of my DMT volunteers, and of all the drug experiences, which have ever taken place in you know, history, have not had the same impact on Western you know, civilization as the prophetic encounters have, which you know form the basis for Western civilization. It's uh, you know theology, it's you know ethics and it's you know, morals, uh, you know, philosophy, e economics, you know, politics, um, you name it, you know, the names of our kids are all you know biblical figures. Um, you know, so I started to look more you know, carefully at, you know, how the states, you know, differed. And, you know, one of the way the states, you know, differ is the, you know, fulsomeness of the interactions, you know, the relational quality of the prophetic encounters, much more developed, much more sophisticated, goes much, you know, deeper and much, you know, broader than, you know, that of the DMT experience or any, you know, psychedelic experiences in, you know, general. You know, so then it was like, okay, and I, you know, began to, you know, shift a bit, like, well, you know, there's a new, you know, category called relatedness, which uh, I, you know, kind of extracted by, uh, you know, looking at what the differences, you know, were between the prophetic and the DMT states, you know, so once I, you know, looked at the, you know, relatedness, uh, you know, characteristic or attribute or, you know, property, um, I then kind of stumbled on, well, you know, what is the, you know, function of, you know, the relationship? And, you know, generally or, you know, primarily the, you know, function is to exchange information, you know, to communicate. And it's, you know, and it's to communicate information, uh, you know, verbal information. Uh, you know, so, you know, what is the nature of, you know, the verbal um, information in the Hebrew Bible? And it's, you know, the prophetic message, uh, which is a you know, very complex, you know, well-articulated message, which people have been um, exerting, you know, themselves to understand, you know, to summarize, to apply, um, you know, for as long as the you know, text has been around. Definitely. Um, I know that in your book, you talked about these prophetic experiences not requiring any type of drug use. I mean, a lot of theories have 
um, been proposed that um, people in the Bible that have had these experiences were using some type of substance. And uh, you kind of go into a little bit of detail in the book about how that isn't required. Yeah, you know, people have been, you know, looking, you know, for, you know, psychedelic agents that were, you know, taken by, you know, characters in the Bible by, you know, biblical figures. You know, one of, you know, the candidates is, you know, marijuana and, you know, the incense, you know, the holy incense. Another is, you know, specific ergot alkaloids in the manna. Uh, which, you know, the Israelites ate in uh, the desert for, you know, 40 years. Um, and, um, you know, one other possibility is, you know, DMT in the burning, you know, bush uh, that, you know, Moses um, encountered, um, which, you know, could have been an acacia, which much, you know, there's you know, many uh, species of acacia, which, uh, you know, contain DMT. You know, some people have, you know, proposed that, you know, that, you know, Jesus, you know, was a mushroom and Amanita mushroom, which is not especially, you know, psychedelic, but, you know, be that as it may. You know, but if you, you know, if you look, you know, carefully at the text, there is not one mention of prophetic experience occurring through, you know, the agency of an outside, you know, substance. You know, the, you know, the, you know, there are no descriptions of the manna being psychedelic. There's no descriptions of you know the incense being you know psychedelic, and you, there isn't any evidence of the you know burning bush you know being you know psychedelic or you know or you know being used that way. Um, and there are plenty of reports of you know psychedelic prophetic states occurring in the Bible without any mention of outside agents. Um, you know, so the whole, you know, notion of outside agents, you know, you know psychedelic you know, substances, I think is kind of a, it's you know, kind of a red herring, you know, because if you, you know, take into account the nature of DMT, it's made in the human body. It's an endogenous, you know, substance. Uh, it's you know, made in the lungs. It's, you know, made in the pineal gland of, uh, you know, of, you know, rodents anyway, um, and, you know, probably humans. Uh, it's, you know, in the blood of humans, it's in the spinal fluid of humans, um, it's in the urine, you know, so, you know, um, you know, the, you know, presence of, you know, DMT in the human body naturally and the um, effects of exogenous DMT, I think, provide a lot more support for the, you know, you know, you know, for the natural uh, activation of these uh, states in the human without, you know, having, you know, recourse to, uh, you know, looking under every stone and under every bush for some, you know, psychedelic, you know, substance that, you know, people were taking. That makes sense. Um, Yeah, I mean, through heavy breathing, things like that, obviously, you can um, produce an altered state. So um, do you think that maybe they were doing some type of um, practice through um, heavy breathing or um, dieting or something like that that kind of caused these experiences or they were just um, uh, initiated spontaneously? Well, I think, you know, both, you know, like, you know, Moses, you know, didn't eat and drink for, you know, 40 days and nights. Um, Elijah, um, you know, was really, you know, depressed after 
you know, the kind of response that his, you know, mission was, you know, getting um, and uh, stopped eating, you know, went off to the desert. Uh, <clears throat> you know, music might stimulate, you know, prophetic experience. in certain people. Uh, you know, sleep abs uh, 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 you know, sexual abstinence um, is another, you know, possibility or, you know, channeling of the, you know, sexual drive, you know, but uh, still, you know, those, you know, techniques aren't really, you know, mentioned especially frequently in the text. Uh, usually, and, you know, this is a, a uh, uh, striking, you know, difference between the Buddhist or the Eastern religious, you know, models, you know, generally, and, you know, the prophetic one is that most of the time, or, you know, nearly always in the Hebrew Bible, you know, prophecy comes unbidden. Um, it isn't welcome. It isn't sought after. Um, it's, you know, more of a, you know, decision of, you know, God, who is going to be a prophet? You know, if you read in, you know, the book of Exodus, you know, when God first appears to Moses, you know, Moses just, you know, kicks and screams and says, choose somebody else. I'm not into it. Uh, you know, choose my brother. You know, he's older. He's cool. He speaks better than I do. He's more charming. You know, <laughs> let him do it. Uh, and, you know, you know, Jeremiah complains, you know, bitterly of being you know, chosen as a prophet, you know, so, you know, compare that, you know, with the Buddha who, uh, you know, was unhappy with his lot in life. Um, I mean, his lot in life was great, but he wasn't happy as an individual. And he went off to seek enlightenment. Uh, he did this, he did that. He found certain teachers. He hungered for enlightenment. And uh, as a result of his strenuous exertions, attained enlightenment. Uh, <clears throat> you know, so that is in striking contrast, you know, uh, to the, uh, you know, prophetic, uh, you know, narrative where usually it isn't uh, a state which one can seek and then attain. You know, it's, it's interesting. The uh, you know, primary, you know, disciple of Jeremiah was a you know, fellow named uh, Baruch. And, you know, Baruch, uh, you know, is an incredibly, you know, loyal scribe of Jeremiah. He's his apprentice. He, you know, follows him everywhere, helps him out. And at a certain point, you know, Baruch, you know, says, I want to be a prophet. I've worked my ass off to study with Jeremiah. I've been his apprentice. You know, why aren't I a you know, prophet by now? You know, so God speaks to Jeremiah, who then speaks, you know, you know, uh, you know, to Baruch, and he says, you're asking for too much. You, you're asking too much, Baruch. You know, be happy with your lot in life. Uh, you, you know, so this isn't quite, you know, the Eastern model. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, generally, you, well, you, you know, there are schools of, you know, prophecy, which are mentioned a few times. There's the school of Elijah, the school of Elisha, the school of you know Samuel, but you don't ever hear of any individuals who came from those schools who became you know full fledged you know prophets, mm. you know so you know, by and large it's 
you're just, you know, chosen by God and uh, you can, you know, take on the mantle or not, uh, you know, be aware if you don't, because life will be even you know, more miserable for you. But uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, as a rule anyway, you, you don't take drugs, you don't engage in spiritual you know, practices uh, in order to attain to the prophetic experience. It's more like you're, um, you're, you know, chosen by God. Um, you know, you know, there's a, you know, concept, you know, that, you know, that, you know, kind which, you know, devolved, you know, from Aristotle's, you know, teachings, um, you know, which is, you know, that, uh, you know, God does not withhold from the worthy, you know, so if you are, you know, if you're, you know, chosen to become a prophet, it's usually for a good reason. You're a certain kind of person. You're in the right place at the right time. You know, God, you know, sees that you're a worthy, you know, vessel, you know, for prophecy. And, you know, then you're chosen and you're, you know, given a specific message or a specific, you know, task to perform. Um, you know, so, you know, those, you know, personal characteristics uh, encompass, um you know, you know, certain, you know, moral characteristics, you know, you're, you know, virtuous, let's say you're, you know, virtuous person. Um, you've, you know, you've, you know, purified yourself to a certain extent. You've, you know, got the intellectual apparatus to be able to extract information from the visions and the voices in, you know, in, in, uh, you know, such a, manner that you can communicate uh you know that information you know successfully and in an intelligible way that makes sense so um with the dmt experience being um similar to a prophetic experience in the bible and you already talked about the uh, the quality of these two experiences not exactly being equal like the dmt experience doesn't change hasn't changed our culture that much um as much as the the hebrew bible has um, what in, in the relationship, I guess, what is the point of, um, what is your perspective of the point behind these experiences through the, the DMT experience and how does it like, how does that relate to the, the Hebrew experience? Like, how can you use that? Or I guess generally what's the point behind it? Uh, right, right. Well, you know, that's a great question, and it could be our closing question too, because we've you know been on for about an hour. You know, Definitely. so would that be all right? Yeah, and then I'm just going to ask you about your um, how people can get a hold of you and um, get your books and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I think you know DMT and other you know psychedelics enhance what is called the imaginative you know faculty. Uh, you know, the, you know, the Aristotelians, you know, divided the mind into the rational faculty, which are ideas, and the imaginative, you know, faculty, you know, which is everything else. Uh, it includes, you know, the senses, uh, you know, the body, you know, the emotions. Um, you know, so I think, you know, DMT stimulates the imagination. It makes, it, it makes you know, perceptible uh, things which are normally invisible. And, you know, there is information in those, you know, percepts, in those, you know, feelings. 
in those you know sensations uh but it requires uh you know the intellect or you know the rational you know faculty to be able to extract usable um <clears throat> usable information you know from them you know so <clears throat> i think what that points to is if you're going to make the most of the enhanced imaginative you know, function which comes about through using psychedelics you have to have the best developed intellect and rational you know faculty that you can and you know the only you know way of enhancing the rational or the intellectual you know faculty is through education um you know so you know that then translates into you know what you read, what you study, what you think about, you know, so you have to, you know, f and if you, you know, look at these current studies <clears throat> where everybody is trained or educated or prepared to have a mystical experience, you know, look at, you know, Manson's model where everybody is trained, educated, and indoctrinated to have another kind of experience. It's what you fill your mind with. Uh, you know, beforehand, which determines the ultimate outcome of the, you know, psychedelic state, you know, so what, uh, I, I guess, you know, that's a roundabout way of, you know, saying you should read and study what you feel is important, what you feel isn't, is true, what you want to, you know, believe is right and certain in your life, uh, what you want to um, apply, you know, how you want to, you know, deal with the outside world and yourself as a result of your, you know, psychedelic trip. Mm. You know, so if you want a mystical experience, you spend eight hours with a therapist who prepares you for that kind of state. If you want to become a mass murderer, you spend eight hours in a, you know, you know, different kind of a setting. You know, if you want to experience, you know, the, you know, prophetic state, you read the Bible, you, you you read it, you break your head against it, you try to understand what it's saying. Um, and, you know, then uh, you'll get that much, you know, closer to the reality behind, you know, those ideas, uh, you know, when you're tripping. Hmm. And, it, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, one of the conclusions that, you know, that I came to at the end of the Spirit Molecule book, which was a little bit glib, but it's, I think it still is true. And it's, I'm, you know, saying it with not as much, you know, glibness as I did then, you know, but uh, of the three, you know, legs of the tripod of the, you know, drug experience, the drug and the set and the setting, the most dispensable probably is, you know, the drug when it comes to, you know, who you want to be as a, you know, grown up, uh, you know, who you're with and what you think about, uh, are going to be as important as a particular experience. Um, you know, the experience, I think, though, can, you know, cement or make more real those things that you aspire to, more or less, you know, consciously. Uh, but what you aspire to are things that you've been working on in the non-drug state, what you read, what you study, what you memorize, uh, you know, your behavior that you try to purify and cleanse as best you can. That's great. Um, and a great way to live a life is what you said, you know, to focus on the things that are important. So 
It's awesome. Well, um, what are some ways that people can get a hold of you and uh, get a hold of your work, um, learn about new research that you're involved in? Um, well, you know, um, I have a website, rickstrassman.com, and uh, you can contact me through that. You know, my email, you know, my email um, address is on there. And uh, you can order, you know, books, which I will, you know, sign and inscribe, you know, through my website. Uh, and I post, you know, uh, interviews or publications or blog posts uh, on you know, my website. I've got a couple of, you know, Facebook pages, which I, you know, check in on every day or two. Um, and you can reach me you know, through Facebook as well. Um, yeah, you know, so, you know, what I'm working on, you know, these days, uh, which is a question, uh, you know, which is a you know, question I'm asked often, uh, is uh, a couple things, you know, one, well, actually, I'm working on three things, you know, one is uh, a, you know, Bible translation for the rest of us. Um, you know, most of the, you know, Bible translations out there are really hard to get through. Uh, either they're, uh, you know, fundamentalistic, either Jewish or Christian or whatever. And uh, you just can't really swallow what they're, you know, feeding you. Or they're just, you know, so complex. They're so archaeological or so form, you know, critical. You know, like, is it the, you know, J source, the P source, the E source? Well, this isn't really what they meant to say. So let's, <laughs> you know, cross out these words and transpose those. Yeah, you know, you'll just go, you know, crazy, you know, trying to understand the text through those up you know, you know, through those, you know, lenses as well, you know, so um, I've been, you know, doing a translation and commentary of Genesis. Hmm. You know, um, kind of slowly, but steadily, uh, I'm on chapter 14 now, out of, you know, 48, I think, chapters, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, so that's, you know, one thing I'm, you know, kind of working on, on, you know, Sundays. Um, the, you know, main thing that I'm working on is an autobiographical novel. Uh, in, you know, 2014, I was really sick. I completed the prophetic states book and got pneumonia. Oh. And then I got stiff. Uh, and, uh, I was just, you know, sick as a dog for a year, you know, but it, it was a remarkable year. And I knew if I lived through it, I would like to tell the story. So I took very careful notes of that whole year. Uh, so I'm, you know, writing up my notes and, you know, hopefully I'll get that book out before the end of the year. It won't be too long, maybe 180 pages or okay. so, but it's, you know, kind of, you know, darkly humorous, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a spiritual quest, but uh, it's kind of, you know, hard to, you know, see that through the weeds, but uh, I'm, you know, doing, you know, my best to, you know, make it approachable and engaging. Um, you know, so once, you know, that's done, uh, I want to start working on some, you know, biblical, you know, fiction of Abraham, the patriarch. You know, Abraham's a great, a great, you know, figure, like he's the first Jew the Christians, you know, claim him as their patriarchs. The Muslims claim him as their patriarch or, you know, one of their patriarchs. Um, and, you know, he didn't really, you know, follow Jewish, you know, law, which was, you know, laid down by Moses, you know, hundreds of years after Abraham's death. 
you know, so uh, I think he's a great, you know, figure with respect to, you know, living a prophetic, you know, life without necessarily being stuck in a legalistic framework. Uh, so that's one thing I'd like to start, you know, working on in earnest after this autobiographical, you know, novel installment is done. Um, you know, research-wise anyway, uh, you know, I collaborate, I consult, I help, you know, write manuscripts, um, I edit, hmm. you know, I've been doing some, you know, peer review. I, um, I just received a, a manuscript to, you know, peer review on microdosing, hmm. uh, you know, for one of the flagship psychopharmacology journals. So, you know, I'm still active doing those kinds of things. You know, there's a group in Ann Arbor that I'm working with that's, uh, that, you know, was the group that, you know, published the, you know, DMT and living rodent, you know, pineal gland about, you know, five years ago. Um, they're, you know, working on, you know, DMT and human brain and in response to dying. You know, so I'm, you know, kind of, you know, helping them, uh, you know, formulate their, their studies. Um, you know, kind of, you know, peripherally at this point, I'm not quite as current on psychopharm as I used to be. So I can, you know, lend an overview a little more, you know, than I, you know, can go into the, you know, fine details of the receptor pharmacology that I used to uh, be, you know, more familiar with. Um, yeah, you know, so those are the pursuits that I'm, you know, following these Neat. days. It sounds exciting, man. Uh, and I look forward to reading um, some of those books that will be coming out soon. And um, I appreciate everything you've done in my life. Um, you've made a huge impact on me and um, a lot of other people that I've talked to constantly um, refer to you as a, um, a mentor to them, even though you may have not talked to them, but they read your book and it's made changes in their life. So um, you've made huge impact in, in this country and the, probably the world. So I appreciate it, man. And thanks for um, taking the time to spend with me and, um, and share your personal views and your passions with uh, the listeners. So thanks. Well, thanks, Lee. I enjoyed our, our chat today very yeah, much. Yeah. This has been another episode of Cosmic Echo, a Taylor podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about Dr. Strassman and his work, you can visit our website at tailleaders.com backslash CE podcast. Additionally, you can support this podcast by clicking on our donation page located at the same website. We look forward to bringing you additional episodes in the near future, but until then, happy dreaming.